Welcome to the Pomona Christian Church Podcast. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian. And so as we pick up where we left off, uh, I, I know some might have been a little concerned of how long this series on Second Peter, you know, you might have thought, boy, it's a small book, we'll get through this pretty quick, and then we only got through two verses, and I know some people are a little worried, we're like, we might be in Second Peter for the rest of the year, but don't worry, we're going to make up a lot of ground today, and again, just a little background on the book of Second Peter, it's written by the Apostle Peter at the end of his life, likely before he is executed by the Roman Emperor Nero. And these are kind of his last words to the church as he's given his whole life and been persecuted in order to share the gospel and to bring the gospel to the to the known world at that time. And now he's getting he knows that he's going to leave, he's going to be executed. And so now his concern is for the churches to endure, to continue. And so that's what he's writing, really writing about, is for us as believers, for them then, but also us today to be able to endure, to continue in our faith. But again, he's not just worried about the outside persecution that is coming from the Roman government or others in the areas, but also he's worried about some internal division from false teachers, from people that distort the gospel, that change the truth of who Jesus is or what he has done on the cross into something else. And so he's writing to cover a lot of bases, and that's the question is, how do we remain faithful? How do we continue to mature and walk forward in our relationship with God in a very difficult time? Because I look at our time, and I'm sure a lot of other times measure up the same way, that, that it's very appropriate as you look at those two things. You don't have to go too far to find some really false teachings and some distortions of the gospel. You don't have to go too far on social media or swipe too many times on TikTok to see some just flat-out lies or distortions of the truth. And I also have no doubt that if believers are going to hold true to Scripture and hold on to God's truth, that culture and the outside world are going to become less and less tolerant of that and that there will be persecution. I have no doubts about that. And so these words of Peter are very appropriate to us today. And Jesus writes this when he talks about his return in Matthew 24. He says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And Jesus was saying that same thing. If you wanted to take some of Jesus' words and make, hey, this is kind of the theme of Second Peter, it's this one. It says, because of the increase in wickedness, many are going to compromise. They're going to deny their faith or they're going to agree with the world. And we see that today. And he says, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So that's what he's talking about is to remain faithful to the end, to be enduring. And there was a race in the early Greek Olympics It was a relay race, but it wasn't a relay race just to see who was the fastest. It was called the Lampadodromia, and it was a race with a torch. And it was a relay race, but it wasn't just about 
who finished first, but it was who finished first with their torch still lit. It wasn't just about the speed, but it was about the enduring and the ability to keep the flame lit. And that's really what Peter's talking about, how to live our Christian life to the end, that we live, we arrive with our flame for Christ still lit. So how do we do this? This is kind of what he jumps into then right away as he gets through the greeting. In verse 3, he says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so he's reminding them, you have everything you need. You know, there aren't more supplies. There aren't more things that you need. God has given us everything we need to accomplish the task he has called us to. And so the first thing, we're going to look at three things in the text here. But first, we have to use what God has provided. And that's the thing. He has given us everything we need for a godly life. He's given us everything we need to endure. When we begin our journey with Him and give Him our lives and dedicate our lives to living for Him, we receive everything we need. And again, notice where He says that comes from. It comes through our knowledge of Him who called us. And we talked about that some last week, that it's not just the facts, but it's a relational knowledge that goes beyond just facts. I know who Harry Truman was. He was a president of the United States following Franklin Delano Roosevelt at the end of World War II. I just saw a special where he had to make the decision to uh, unleash the atomic bombs. And I know facts about Harry Truman. But on some sense, I can't say I really know or, or knew Harry Truman. There were people in his administration who maybe knew what made him laugh, knew his sense of humor. They knew Harry Truman. There are people we would say we know, maybe we know they're famous, what they do, but then we don't really know them because there are people that work with them side by side and they know what they're like. But Harry Truman, his wife, I would say she really knew Harry, that she knew Harry closer than anybody. And that's what our knowledge of God is. It starts in one thing, maybe some facts, and then it moves to a relational knowledge and understanding what He wants us to do and guiding us to become more and more like Him. So our knowledge of Jesus grows and grows as we continue our journey with Him. And it goes maybe from facts and understanding, the first facts that we understand our Jesus' death, His burial and resurrection of why He went to the cross, how He was buried, and how He rose again. And then we understand more of His teaching, and we understand all of Scripture, which Jesus is the Word of God. So understanding all of Scripture helps us understand Jesus more, and we learn more than just the facts, but how it all connects. And then the work of the Spirit in our lives helps us to mature and become more like Him as we live the Spirit, and respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And so he says he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness, to, to live the way God has called us to live, even in this world, even now. And he says, through these promises, these precious, these 
promises that he has given us. He says he's given us these very great and precious promises. Now, what are the promises? Well, it's the promise of the gospel, that we've been forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that we are placed in God's family, his chosen people, and he will help us to be faithful and that he's given us the Holy Spirit and will help us to endure to the end. That's what he's saying. We participate in the divine nature, that God's Spirit dwells us and that we get to become more like who God is by his work in our lives. We participate in the divine nature. That's an amazing thing to think about as a believer, that we participate in God's nature and becoming more like him. But notice what it says we do. The other option, and this is the course of the world and society and history around us, is we escape the corruption of the world that's caused by what? That's caused by sinful desires, that our tendency that the tendency of human history is to reject God's design and God's plan more and more and move further and further from God's original purpose. So that word corruption that he says is kind of this same idea of decay. The, the way things just kind of, you know, fruit left on its own will just kind of decay. That's the course of the world. Another kind of word that's connected with that is is perversion. And anything that's a perversion is basically here. God's designed and created purpose, and when we alter and change that in any area of life, that's what sin is. It's a perversion of God's original design. It's a changing of what God has designed and doing something else with that. I remember years ago when I was in high school, you know, it's hard to believe uh, that something would be so controversial, but one politician made a comment. He just simply said, it's best for a child to have a father and a mother, that that is best. He wasn't saying people don't do a good job, and you would have thought everything, you know, that he, you know, had said something horrendous just by saying that that is best and what God's design is. In today's world, there's a sharp response to hearing what God's design is and that that's best. But that's what corruption, decay, uh, perversion is, is a changing of God's design. And any area of life where we do that is sin. But the reason we do that is our sinful desires. We often think of sexual, a perversion of God's design. The sex outside of a relationship with a man and woman in marriage is outside of God's design. That was his purpose for the family. But we can do it with our words. And when we use our words in ways that God wouldn't want us to. Than anything, we can see the corruption, and we can see in one area, it doesn't just happen in one area of society, it's across the board. But through Jesus' work in the gospel and on the cross for us, says we can escape the corruption that we would naturally follow and the world around us follows, and rather than be a part of the decay, we can have life because we receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit to help us live the way God intends us. He lives in us. We participate in the divine nature, and we become more like Him. That's what godliness is, is becoming. It's not perfect. It's becoming like God. You know, it wouldn't take a social, you know, a sociologist or many studies to say that I think most people across the board, even in surveys, say that there's definite moral decay. They might not agree with what that is, but just like there's physical decay, there's also moral decay. And so that promise is received when we believe in what Jesus has done for us and we trust him 
and His work on the cross, that we aren't good enough, that we need what He has done for us, that we repent. That means we dedicate our lives to living for God's purposes. We confess that Jesus is Lord, and that's how we die to ourselves, but then we're baptized. And what baptism represents is a burial of our old way of living and a resurrection to new life. And that's why that's such an important step, is that it's a burial and a resurrection. It says in Romans 6, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It says that's the purpose, so that we can live a new life. The life for a believer isn't just being saved and waiting around till the end, till we die, and then we just go to heaven. That's how many people picture it. But it's that we've been freed from, that we live freely, that we can be different from the world. We can live faithfully, even though we might be in a culture that rejects a God of truth and a God that has standards. You know, too often Christianity is made about just some past decision that, hey, I made this decision at this point in time in the past, and I'm just waiting around for its fulfillment so that if I die, I go to heaven. And it's kind of like a fire insurance policy. But what we often either don't understand, some don't understand, or we don't understand that it's a continuing decision is that decision about repentance. That repentance is the decision not just to ask for forgiveness, but to live that out. To live out God's purposes, it's a decision. I'm giving my life to God. I'm going to live for His purposes for the rest of my life and not my own purposes, not my own desires. And that's what He helps us understand. We're freed from being a slave to our desires. The societal viewpoint is you can't overcome desire. In fact, that's your identity. It defines you. And so there's no way to escape it. But Scripture says that's being a slave to sin. And unfortunately, our world finds pride, as we even call it Pride Month, and pride in celebrating what takes God's design and changing it and perverting it and just following whatever desires we have. And that's what Peter's reminding us of, is we don't have to live like that, that He has given us everything that we need to live the way God wants us to. He's given us a new start, and He's given us the Holy Spirit to help us continue on the journey. The second thing is we have to make every effort to grow. And here's a thing that often is lost. We often think spiritual growth is just going to happen. I don't do anything in people that think like that. They're the same five years ago. You know, they're either the same today or they're not where they were at today than they were five years ago. And I found like that growth-wise, we either become more like Jesus or less like him. Very rarely do we stay in just the same place. And the good thing to understand is we're not perfect until the end. Jesus says that when the perfect comes, the imperfect will disappear. That when Jesus returns, he'll make up the difference in what we lack. But we still become more like him. And so this is what Peter says. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So notice what he says, the beginning point. There's kind of a debate, is there, is there a logical order to this or are these just things that he lists? And I think there's a logical order because it begins with our beginning point of faith, of entrusting who God is and what Jesus has done for us. And then when we add to our faith, notice what he says, we add goodness. You know, one of the signs of repentance, we don't live righteously to save ourselves, but we live righteously because we've repented and we receive the Holy Spirit, and we try to do what God wants us to do. So he says, in addition to your faith, then you add goodness, which is this quality of moral excellence. And then to goodness, add knowledge, which is, you know, correct insight, understanding God's Word. And then to understanding God's Word and who God is, we add self-control. Self-control to not just follow our desires, because Scripture is clear, our sinful nature is still there, but we have self-control over what we say, over what we do. But then we add to that perseverance, the ability to continue with goodness, knowledge, and self-control. And then what happens is, then comes godliness. We become more like God, the way God wants us to be, the way God created us to be. And then comes brotherly kindness, and that's specifically a love towards the family of God, toward other believers. And then it culminates in what summarizes God's will, God's commandments, love, that agape, that putting God and others ahead of ourselves for their good, for the glory of God and the good of others, that that is the ultimate end goal. And so, But it, notice what it says, it says, for this very reason, make every effort, because we get to participate in God's nature, but we also have to make every effort to mature. It takes effort. You know, growth doesn't happen without some kind of effort on our part. He's given us everything that we need, but we have to use what He has supplied and given us. And He's given us, well, we listen to the Holy Spirit, Will we put effort to do what the Holy Spirit guides us and instructs us? Will we take time to learn Scripture? Will we take time to spend time in prayer? Will we make sure we connect with other believers because He's given us the family of God to help us mature and for us to have a job and help others mature? See, it takes effort to do these things. It takes intentionality in our lives to make sure these things are present. And he says, if we possess these qualities in increasing nature, they will keep us from being unproductive and ineffective. If we want to have an effective faith, if we want to be productive with our knowledge, then we work and we mature in these areas. But notice what he says, if we don't have these things, he says, but if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. You know, those who just get saved and then there's really no difference and there's not this increase, they've really forgotten or didn't understand what really happened and can't see the truth. They've forgotten it. You know, I've seen people make a decision and then there's absolutely no evidence that they really repented and gave their lives to Christ. But in the end, knowing Jesus maybe is a factual thing. Maybe they believe in God, but there's no change in the life that follows. And so can you say that's really a knowledge of God? They've forgotten really what has happened. And the problem, I think, often with our world isn't so much what other people 
choose to do and how they choose to live, but it's so many who would say, hey, I believe in God, or who know Jesus and put no effort into their spiritual growth, make no effort into being better themselves so that they can minister to the world rather than just sit back and be able to know what's right and wrong and throw stones at the world. And I was thinking one day, what's the difference between an atheist and a believer who really doesn't go to church or connect with the family of God? Uh, well, the atheist is honest. You know, the believer, the person who says, hey, I believe in God, and that makes no effort to connect with the body of Christ or, or to mature Really, it's not selfless. It's a pure, I'm selfless. It's a purely selfish faith. I just want to be saved and that's it. I don't care about the impact I have on anybody else. You don't see any of that love for God or love for others. And that's why there's that emphasis he puts on there is to make every effort because it is easy in our society to get lulled to sleep, to just fall out of a pattern of being involved in church or just think, you know what? I just want to be a good person and believe in God, and that's what it's about. And that is such a popular thing, to believe and really make no difference and have no connection with the body of Christ and just worry about, I'll make sure my kids grow up knowing truth. But what happens is a couple generations down the road, they become just like the world unless we make every effort to mature and to grow in our faith. And it's easy to get lulled to sleep. See, our knowledge of Jesus Christ, when we have those qualities, it's productive because it's showing the things that God wants us to have in our life. And when we have those things, we make a difference. You know, if, if your faith doesn't change your life, it doesn't change your behavior, it doesn't change your schedule, it doesn't change your budget, then what difference is it really? What difference is it making? Are we just waiting around till we die and hope we go to heaven? You know, that is not the gospel. So what he says is to make every effort with what God has provided. And then he says one other thing, to check the quality of our faith. You know, how do you know your faith is genuine? So some people say, how do you know that you're saved? You know, even Jesus said, many will say to me, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will say, I never depart from me. I never knew you. So there, how do we know? If our faith is real, if our faith is genuine. And just the other day, I bought a shelf. I wanted the shelf for one of my grills. And if you know me, I like to, to grill food. And there's the, I just like food in general. And then protein, beef, that's the best, you know. So if you can do that at home, it saves a lot of money. And so I wanted the shelf for my grill. So I quit dropping grease on the porch and stuff. And I bought this one off Amazon. But when I got I noticed it seemed kind of flimsy. It was one of those invented brands that don't really exist. You know, there you'll see 16 items of the same product with different names, like Shingachu or something. You know, you have no idea what it is. And you know, this company really doesn't exist anywhere except on paper. And so the shelf is kind of flimsy. And then I look really close at the, the pictures and I noticed that the Weber shelf, it even sent Weber instructions. Like this is really, but it didn't have the same rivets as in the picture, and I knew it wouldn't be that cheap. By really looking close, I could tell that it was a, not just a knockoff, but a cheap knockoff. And I thought I'd save some money, and then I realized in the long run, I really didn't save any money because this thing wasn't any good. And so, in the same way, we need to look at faith, we need to look at our lives to see. And it's not this difficult test. 
He says in verse 10, Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. Saying to make sure the genuineness of what that you're living out what you were called to. That your election, you're being part of God's chosen people. He says, for if you do these things, talking about adding to these things, these qualities, he said you will never fall. He's not talking about just a sin. He's not saying you'll be perfect. But you won't fall away. He's saying that you will be faithful. And then he says this, and you will receive a rich welcome into into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a really simple Make every effort to add to these things. See these things. You can know that you're genuine, that your faith is productive, that it is effective. And he says, if you do these things, you'll never fall. You'll continue the path that God has called you to. And then he has that promise, I love that, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this is kind of the opening to everything else he's going to say, is this is the main point, to continue faithfully to the end, regardless of persecution, regardless of false teaching, that through our knowledge and intimate knowledge of God and His Word, and we make every effort to implement that in our life, we can know it's genuine. He's not saying these things save us or earn salvation, but they are the result of saving faith and that we are continuing with our repentance. And so that's the assurance that our faith is in Him. When we really trust that, we make every effort to add to our faith goodness and all those things in the list. He says that this is your life path. You'll be effective, you'll be productive, and you'll never fall. For more information about Pomona Christian Church, please visit us at PomonaChristian.com or find us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Pomona Christian.